The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You are listening to the next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Address. What's that? A safe house in Paris. Why would I need a safe house in Paris? Should things at some point go terribly wrong, it's good to have a place to go. You know, for a cup of tea. My brothers. My sisters. The clock is ticking fast. My dream. We who live for truth, for love. The moment has come to take our rightful place in the world where we wizards were free. Join me. Or die. The wizarding and non-wizarding worlds have been at peace for over a century. Grindelwald wants to see that peace destroyed. You want me to hunt him down? To kill him? Dumbledore, why can't you go? I cannot move against Grindelwald. It has to be you. You don't suffer from motion sickness, see? I don't do well on boats. You'll be fine. Do you know why I admire you, Nick? You do not seek power. You simply ask, is the thing right? The time's coming when you're gonna have to pick a side. No, I don't do sides. What are you gonna do? I think it's something. Mute, you never met a monster you couldn't love. Let's take him. Your brother? I think that might have been the best moment of my life. Alright everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, and the story is as follows. In an effort to thwart Grindelwald's plans of raising pure-blood wizards to rule over all non-magical beings, Albus Dumbledore enlists his former student, Newt Scamander, who agrees to help unaware of the dangers that lie ahead. Lines are drawn as love and loyalty are tested, 
even among the truest friends and family in an increasingly divided world. The film is starring Eddie Redmayne, Catherine Waterston, Dan Fogler, Allison Sudol, Ezra Miller, Zoe Kravis, Callum Turner, Claudia Kim, William Natalam, Kevin Goofrey, Jude Law, and Johnny Depp. It is directed by David Yates, again, and written by J.K. Rowling. Joining me for this review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Okay, so I want to just start off by saying in regards to this entry within the Wizarding World universe, I want to get a couple of things clear. One, I am not what you would call a fanboy of this universe. So if you're going to listen to this expecting me to go deep into the mythology and the connections and everything, I can tell you right now, I am not that person. I am just simply here to talk about this movie that I saw. And with that said, if anybody from Warner Brothers is listening right now, I have one thing to say. Avada Kedavra. Because <laughs> this this movie is, in my opinion, a low point for this entire franchise for both Harry Potter and the two installments in this Fantastic Beast movies, and it, 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 this is this is the crime itself. You know, I, I still don't really know what the crimes of Grindelwald exactly are, but I know what this is, and this movie, I think, is a crime. So, <laughs> with all that out of the way, Josh Parham, what did you think of Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald? Well, I have to say, uh, I think this is one of the worst movies of the year. <laughs> yes, right? Isn't it? Oh, my God. Like, And that's <sighs> so hard for me to say, but I was looking at my top 10 worst movies of the year so far that I've personally seen, and I have it actually ranked uh, – I have it ranked actually you know, at the bottom, at, at number 10. So there's a chance that it may not stay there. But, yeah, no, this is currently in that slot. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's so bad. And – I think the big problem with this movie, or, uh, of anything in it, is that it just feels so empty to me. You know, I wasn't the biggest fan of the first Fantastic Beast, but I at least felt like it was trying to set up a story and tell it with some kind of competency. Not to mention, like, you know, Dan Fogler was very likable character in that. I, I, I have to say that I like what Eddie Redmayne is bringing to the role of uh, Newt. There were there were some elements to appreciate, and I didn't think it was all out terrible. But, or, mm. but like like like, um, are you like me that you thought that the first Fantastic Beast film was not a movie that could stand alone on its on its own? It, it was purely just all set up. Oh, and now we get to this, and this just feels like more set up. <laughs> oh it, yeah, I mean, at least the first Fantastic Beast did definitely feel like set up, but at least it had the. Um, the excuse of being the first movie and this one doesn't this one feels like 30 minutes worth of material stretched out to two hours and it is just so empty you know what it reminded me of actually uh now that i'm thinking like you just said 30 minutes stretched out to two hours definitely hollows part one yep yep i agree and i know that that's something that a lot of harry potter fans get mad at you uh, if you say that definitely hollows could have been one movie um i do think it could have been one film and this Man, the crimes of Grindelwald just felt like we were taking so long to move such incremental steps in the story, and it was just so boring to watch. And it didn't help that I found every character in this movie to be not that interesting. Uh, I think Eddie Redmayne is even worse in this movie than he is in the first one, and I didn't really like him in the first movie either. Mm. Every other character is just bland and boring. 
oh god it, it was just kind of excruciating to watch this movie it was just so nothing and by the time you get to the end there's a little bit at the end that i feel like kind of it gets interesting a bit but it's sort of too little too late at that point and I just was frustrated with it all the way through. Like I said, I think it's one of the worst movies of the year. Yeah, no, there's definitely a hollowness to this movie. And, and you know, the direction by David Yates, I think we need to kind of start there. This is now his seventh, I think, right? Film that he's directed? Uh, I think so. It's like seven or six at this point um, that he has made uh, within this universe. And it just seems to me that, like, oh, it's six films. Um, it's it just clear to me that, him and J.K. Rowling, to his to a degree, I guess they just don't care anymore about kind of getting newcomers to this franchise kind of caught up. Like I feel like these movies are made now for the diehards, and as a result of which, they've kind of lost their universality. And there was um some comments made actually on Twitter by uh, Dana Schwartz that um I saw where she talked about how the Harry Potter films. They had a relatability to them because the kids were in school and they were going through things that everyone goes through. And there was and we felt like we were growing up with those characters where my first criticisms of like Fantastic Beasts when it initially came out was I don't know why I'm supposed to like any of these characters other than the fact that, you know, Newt is an animal lover and Dan Fogler is, you know, obviously very charming in his role and he's kind of just along for the ride. Uh, but there's like a there's something lacking overall with these characters. And I feel like the development for them in this movie, especially is zilch. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like nobody grows, nobody changes. And it just seems like we're just kind of dropped in and we're back in the adventures of these characters again with nothing to actually show for it. Oh, and not, and I think the biggest, I'm going to keep saying crimes throughout this whole review. The biggest like crime of all is the inclusion, the forced inclusion of Albus Dumbledore into this story when I feel like the story doesn't even really necessarily need it because there's all this hype around the fact that Jude Law is playing Dumbledore and look, Dumbledore's in the story and oh, isn't it great that we have Dumbledore and he does nothing in this movie. He does nothing. He even says to Newt, I can't move against Grindelwald. Then why why are you like a part of the movie then? (laughs) Yeah, you're right. The whole Dumbledore inclusion to me feels like an excuse to get back to Hogwarts. Oh, yeah. And everything there just feels like fan service. It just feels like we need to remind people that this is actually about Harry Potter in some capacity. Let's go back to this location, even though nothing really motivates that. The main characters that are associated with this either don't do much or, you know, don't really contribute that much to the story. And I just uh, it it was just so frustrating to watch that, too, because it was so blatantly obvious that that's the reason why they included Dumbledore and this location. But it provided nothing to actually like move the story in any significant way. And it was just it was just bad to watch. <laughs> and then, you know, you have like McGonagall showing up. And of course, I hear everybody in the theater go, ah! you know, like when she shows up on screen, everybody's like so excited. And I'm just like sitting there like, meh, whatever. Uh, yeah. You said a character's name that we recognize. Is that supposed to be like we're supposed to be glad about that? She doesn't do anything. <laughs> now, I, I do have to admit, there's some things that I do remember from the Harry Potter films that do come back in this that I thought were interesting, like um, the mirror that shows your uh, the thing you're afraid of the most. I can't remember what it's called, but uh, the mirror of Erised. OK, very good. Oh, or the no, no, not uh, 
that's something else. Whatever. In any, yeah. that, that's the other thing too. This movie has so many terms and spells and titles of people like within the Ministry of Magic and stuff that like, I, I don't know about you, but like when I hear all this to me, it just sounds like, <laughs> like I don't understand any of it. And I don't kind of care to know at this point because I don't care about these characters enough to want to actually like get invested more in this world. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head, Matt, when you said that, like, J.K. Rowling seems like she's creating a story to be very insular. And if you have a connection to this story and are, like, really super into it, I think that seems to be the main motivation to be invested in this story and these characters. It's nothing that feels organic in the storytelling. It's just, do you like Harry Potter and do you like the world of those movies and those books? Well, here you go. Here are more people that exist in them, but nothing that really tells you why you should be invested in their stories. And I think you get that especially at the end with the very last twist, which we won't get into. But that to me felt like something that was not motivated at all and purely for people that just love the story and these characters. Well, let's talk about Credence. Let's talk about Ezra Miller's character in this movie because Credence is a character who is – searching for his identity, doesn't really know who he is or how he fits into everything. Grindelwald knows how he fits into everything. Grindelwald plans to use Credence to destroy Albus Dumbledore, but he can't do it force forcefully. He has to, you know, Credence has to make the decision himself organically to want to side with Grindelwald. And it's very funny to me how this whole theme of Credence searching for his identity I feel like that by the time we even do get to the end of this movie, I'm still left wondering the same thing. Like, who is this character? Why should I care about him? Like, I don't really know much about him, even from even the first one carried over to this one. Like I said, it just all goes back to I don't care about these characters because they haven't given me a reason to. Yeah, and it's a real shame because I'm a big fan of Ezra Miller. I like him. Oh, yeah. No, he's great. Yeah, and I can tell, like, if you watch him in interviews and and see him talk about Harry Potter, he has a lot of passion for this franchise and for this story. And it just is a real shame that this character just lets him down because there's nothing to really gravitate to. He is this blank slate that they occasionally like to try to fill in some gaps, but not enough because they're trying to save stuff for later movies. And it is just, he is so, he's supposed to be the central figure in the story, but nothing in the story actually gives him anything of substance for you to really identify or care about his journey. And that's a real shame. Yeah. I mean, I would say the only thing I maybe cared about in this movie were the scenes with uh, Zoe Kravitz Mm. who plays, who does she play? Lena? Is that her name? I think so. Yeah, um, uh, her scenes I thought with Newt and like Newt's brother, like that's something that just felt like so forced to me. And that's another thing where it's like, oh, here's what's going on with uh, these two characters, and there you go. That's that that's pretty much their entire character development throughout the entire movie at this point. Which, by the way, they have no chemistry with each other. None. I get that that's sort of the point, that they're distant, but... Mismatched, I, I yeah. I couldn't even believe that they were, like, estranged brothers. They had nothing going with each other, and it was just so bad to watch. It's really, it's really, really frustrating how we don't get enough development 
And there's and that's what it just, and that's what the it just comes down to. It's just too many characters. There's just way too many characters in this. And instead, like with for example, like in Fantastic Beasts, if they had just introduced us to a smaller group of characters and just kind of focused on them, you know, it's like when you think about it, think back to yourself to Harry Potter. We have Harry, Ron, Hermione, three characters, three. That's it. That's all. That like that, everyone else in that movie is like background noise. And as the films go on, those other characters start to come to the forefront, you know, and like people like Snape and uh, Dumbledore and so on and so forth. I mean, they're there. They're present. It's not like they were um, never there to begin with. But there was an organic feeling of character development from film to film where I feel like we are expected through either our own research or forums or just online chatter and talking with people about this franchise – that we have to fill in gaps for ourselves to make this meaningful. And I'm sorry, but that's just not the way that this works. So when I tell you, like, my the only scenes in this movie where I actually felt some sort of emotion or some sort of gravitational pull to this movie, it was during the scenes uh, in Hogwarts. The flashbacks, I would say, probably is what did it for me the most. Um, where we did get the scenes with uh, Zoe Kravitz's character and... Um, News commander. But outside of that, you know, the other thing that I, God, I'm, I, I know I'm a little all over the place with this movie, but this movie's messy and it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. The opening scene, right? The opening scene to me is something that's very clear as a signal to what kind of a movie this is going to be. You know, we, we open up with this um, prisoner exchange transfer and uh, not exchange. It's, it's a prisoner transfer and it's dark, it's rainy, it's cloudy outside and it's ambitious and that they want to do this prisoner escape, but with a flying carriage in the sky and the rain. And it's really cool conceptually, but David Yates's direction of it is all over the place. It's hard to make out what's happening. The editing is atrociously bad. And once again, we don't really care so much about any of the characters in the scene, so you're left with this hollow feeling, and I never could recover from that. It's supposed to be a tone setter throughout the whole movie, and it does set the tone. It sets the tone that this is going to be a very messy film that is muddled, convoluted, hard to make out, and left feeling with little to no emotion by the end of it. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that you also had the note about the opening seeming very hard to follow and dark because I had that issue too. I didn't know if it was just maybe my theater's projection, but if you encounter that as well, then it's a genuine problem with this movie. Uh, Yeah, this movie does not look very good. No. It's very dark and murky and hard to make out. And and even just the overall design isn't that strong. Oh, well, I I mean, I got to say, I think production design and costumes are still – Pretty, I, I think they are solid for all, all things considered for this franchise and maybe might be the only saving grace. Yeah, I, I would say that they are fine, but considering – I don't know. I thought the first movie looked, from a design standpoint, much more impressive than this one did. Mm. Um, I, I – you know, they're competent, but I didn't find them to be exceptional at all. And I could not believe I, – I really was beside myself at how bland – and kind of unfinished, the visual effects looked in this. Yeah, if you could tell what they were because the movie looks so dark. <laughs> right, like there's that scene with the, I don't even know what this thing is called. I'm not even going to try to attempt. But with that that big beast, you know, looking thing. 
<laughs> kind of like Chinese dragon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Monster. Yeah. Like, I feel like that scene especially is supposed to be like a visual uh, effects highlight and it's supposed to look insanely great. But yeah, maybe something with the projection or I don't know, but it just seemed like the brightness of the image was toned down and I ended up losing detail in the image. And instead, it just looked dark, murky, and kind of just unspectacular on the whole. I There was no scene in this movie, even like the ending sequence with the blue fire, that wowed me. So if the visual effects can't wow me, the story can't wow me, the characters can't wow me, like, what am I being wowed by in this movie? Well, you know what? The one thing I actually that I, I will say this. The one thing I like the most about this from a design standpoint is I really, really love, and even on a standalone listen, I think it's fantastic, uh, James Newton Howard's score for this movie I think is really good. Yeah, I would agree. The music was definitely one of the few things about the film consistently that was pretty good. You know, it. I don't know if I would like throw it into my lineup for original score, but as a piece of itself, it, it was pretty well done for being attached to a pretty terrible movie. Now, what do you make of like the message that this movie is trying to send with Grindelwald and this feeling of, um, cause this is what I'd get from it. I get this theme of nationalism and suppression and how they're basically trying to make ties, uh, to Adolf Hitler with him essentially, and how he views, uh, the wizarding world and pure bloods and so on and so forth. What, what do you make of that? Well, you know, because you're right, you you do really get a sense of nationalism with that character, and you get it really in the end when he has that like meeting and he's delivering this speech. And you know what? I will actually say that that scene in the movie was probably my favorite of the whole thing. Mm. I didn't really like the movie in general, and I thought many of its scenes were pointless, but I felt like that was where we finally got to what his message was. And, you know, the idea that here's somebody who claims to really, like, love, you know, his race and wants to see it survive and sees what's on the horizon if humans are left to their own devices and the weapons that they're creating and selling that message that we have to defend ourselves because if we don't, we will get attacked by, you know, another race that's, um, you know, very angry and has these powerful weapons. Like, I thought that was an interesting path for the movie to go down yeah and i thought overall it was well executed you know it it's very it could have been very easy to basically paint that as like almost like a trump rally you know we're just oh my god yelling and shouting all the time but uh, just the fact that that scene is shot with him being very calm and collected and the crowd being calm and collected and knowing that that is the message that he wants to send out i thought that was an interesting way to execute that scene unfortunately it comes at the very end of the movie and you can't really forget the previous two hours of, you know, terribleness. But I, I will give the movie that one scene that was actually halfway decently executed. I mean, if they had just found a way to take that theme and run it through the entire film via dialogue, uh, whatever it is, I feel like this film just would have been so much stronger. But instead, I feel like we're left with exposition, with... Um, and uh, you know what? Maybe not even exposition so much because there are times where characters are talking to each other in like cryptic manner that I don't even know sometimes what they're saying, but it all just feels like build up, build up, build up. And I think that that build up is going to pay off in this movie. Oh, no, sorry. You have to wait a couple of years until the next film comes around for that for that payoff, you know? 
with this movie in particular, though, like with that scene that we were just discussing, um, I do believe that there is, even though there's more direct ties to obviously World War II and Adolf Hitler, I do think that the film might be kind of getting at a bit with Trump because there is another theme that carries on throughout the film. And I, I always think about this um, all the time when after um, Charlottesville, how uh, President Trump said, well, there are many sides. Mm-hmm. And he, he threw that out there for us to all hear. And I, this movie is about Newt kind of being in the middle and having to choose a side. I have a huge, huge, huge problem with this character being caught up in such a decision that should not be this complex that we need a two-hour yeah. movie to force him to get to a logical conclusion by the end. Yeah, and, and it's even more like frustrating because I think at one point, I'm not even sure the movie really condemns his notion about wanting to stay rather neutral. It, it at least doesn't – like he gets pushed to a side – but I don't even think the movie like really says it was bad for him to be in the center. It was just something bad happened to him, so now he has to be on a side. And I think it just speaks to how much Newt as a character, I just do not find that interesting. I don't think the way that Eddie Redmayne portrays him is very endearing. I get annoyed with his speech pattern and his personality. The relationship that he has with the Tina character I, I think is just – one of the worst things also in this film, I, I hate their like love relationship because they, again, also have no chemistry with each other. Right, yeah. It just, to hang this entire series on the new Scamander character, I just think is a really fundamental flaw with this series. Well, let's talk about Grindelwald. He's in the title of the film. Johnny Depp has had a lot of uh, publicity leading up to this movie uh, featuring him a lot. And obviously... Uh, Johnny Depp himself in his own personal life has had a lot of publicity and Mm -hmm. that has, I think, clouded a lot of people's um, perceptions of the movie heading into it. I know some people in particular that went into this with their knives sharp and ready to just butcher this movie to death because of that. And what's so, (laughs) you know, I went into this movie wanting to hate Johnny Depp for those reasons. And there was never a point in this movie where I actually hated Grindelwald for um, uh, for the reasons that the film wanted me to hate him for. Instead, I ended up hating him because Johnny Depp is delivering what some might consider an interesting performance because it's, you know, Johnny Depp without the idiosyncratic, you know, quirks. It's a very serious, very dark and brooding Johnny Depp. But it's very one note. Mm-hmm. And because there is that, like I said, like we were saying before, lack of character development until he does deliver that speech at the end and that is kind of like, you know, his big scene. I just like, I, once again, I'm left with like, I'm, I'm not angry. I'm not hateful. I don't think this is good. I'm just kind of just stuck somewhere in the middle where I just don't care. Yeah, this is not like Mad Hatter and Alice in Wonderland bad Johnny Depp. No. It's not it's nothing like that. I don't think he's actually what I would say is quote unquote bad. I just think it's unremarkably boring. <laughs> yeah, I, I would a hundred percent agree with that. His performance here just is so flat and monotone and just lacking any kind of passion to it. 
it just whenever he's on screen, he is as the main villain. You should be like the most charismatic, most charming, most interesting thing in your movie. But here he just it's just whenever he comes on screen, you get nothing. It, it is just and I mean, I guess it matches the rest of the film <laughs> consistency, but it's still sort of it's still frustrating to watch because you want this character to be so full of life and you want to see the convincing argument of why people would want to follow him. Mm -hmm. And for the vast majority of the film, he just never provides that. He's just a very flat, boring guy that doesn't seem to have any feature that would make him interesting to get people to get legions of people to, to follow him. (sighs) This, Hmm. I'm going to make a pun. This movie is ridiculous. <laughs> Anyways, final thoughts. Great out of 10. Oscar potential. We got we to gotta talk about it. I mean, the first film did get nominated for a few in one costume design. So yeah, one. Rather a surprising upset. I don't think many people were predicting that to win costume design. I do remember some folks were, but they were very, very few. Very few. Yeah, well, that was an interesting race that year. There wasn't really a clear front runner. And looking back on it, it makes sense because if you think of how that category has always gone for the flashiest costumes – Fantastic Beasts had the flashiest costumes. Yeah, it just didn't have the precursor support behind it, which threw us most of us off. And we also thought they were going to go for like a more prestigious film like Jackie or La La Land instead, which yeah. I think most people had one of those predicted over it. So either way, I digress. Uh, final thoughts on Crimes of Grindelwald, Josh? Uh, final thoughts. It's a terrible movie. It is lacking in interesting characters. The plot feels so empty and hollow. Feels like nothing happened in this movie. Uh, it really does seem like they had very little material and stretched it out. And because of that, we get a movie that's pretty boring and uninteresting. Didn't like any of the characters. Um, yeah, I, I really think that if this series has any hope of being good, they need to replace David Yates and J.K. Rowling. I, I think that they need new talent to kind of reshape this storyline and to make it more interesting for people that just are not so super diehard into Harry Potter. They need to broaden this the horizons a little bit um, because otherwise they're just going to keep making movies that are just as empty as this one. So uh, my grade probably – like a two out of 10. It has a few redeeming qualities, but not that many. And certainly not enough to say that it's anything resembling a good or even passable movie. It's still terrible. Um, we know that the, the crafts are probably, probably going to be here. It's the same team behind the first movie, which did do pretty well. Costume production design. I think you would still have to put them in the conversation. I don't know how far they'll get. Maybe name recognition alone will help. But I, it's a craft player, and that's it. And even that, I think it'll get, be lucky to get. Yeah, I think this is going to be the first film in this franchise in a while that might get uh, zero Oscar nominations. In a way, I kind of uh, compare it to Free Solo in many ways, how it looks like that film, it, not Free Solo, I'm sorry, Solo, the Star Wars oh, story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm comparing it to uh, Climbing. <laughs> 
<laughs> the mountain. I, I was wondering. I was waiting for that connection to come in. I was very curious. <laughs> uh, no, no. I compare it to Solo in the sense that here is another installment within a large franchise that feels like a cash grab doesn't have the heart, doesn't have a reason for us to necessarily care. And as a result of which, I think the Academy is going to respond uh, in a way that it has never responded uh, before, and that is to give this no recognition whatsoever. I said with the first Fantastic Beasts film, and you can go back and listen to our podcast review on that one, that I thought it was okay and that there was room for improvement. I, I kind of gave the movie a pass in a way because I said to myself, well, you know what? After the highs of Deathly Hollows Part 2, we kind of have to hit the reset button, start from scratch, and you know, take it from here. So it's understandable that the movie is not as good as the ones that came before it. And it's fine as is, but it, it has room to, go, to grow. I feel like David Yates and J.K. Rowling did not listen to any feedback whatsoever all they and Warner Brothers did was look at the money, and that was it. And that's just how I feel now about this franchise, is that it just feels so much like a cash grab. The passion uh, behind and enthusiasm behind uh, this these films just doesn't seem to be there. And if you don't believe that, look at like Johnny Depp's performance. Look at how lazy the screenwriting is. Look at um, the fact that Jude Law, for example, doesn't even try to imitate Michael Gambon is somewhat perplexing to me in terms of vocal style, in terms of the look of the character. Like, there's nothing there. It just seems like nobody... It, it feels like no one cares. That's what it feels like. Now, I know people do care. You know, we said before that there are some people who are associated with this franchise that definitely care. I understand that. And there are fans that care, and they will always care, and they're going to give this money, uh, movie money regardless, no matter what happens. But this represents a low point in the franchise. This is the worst, I think, of all the Harry Potter films and of the two Fantastic Beasts movies. Like, this is by far the bottom. Now, I would love to say that this franchise has only where to go but up now. <laughs> but I don't know, because I just don't have... To your point, Josh, I don't have trust within this creative team anymore to pull us out of this mess. It just feels like we're going to go deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. They're going to keep throwing terms and spells and creatures and things like that that they just expect us to just know and follow. And this convoluted storyline, and I like, I, I just can't. I can't. And I don't want to rewatch these movies to get on pace with it because they don't have the same rewatchability that the Harry Potter films do. So I think at this point they just lost me. I mean, hell, um, if the film get if the next film gets like as bad or worse reviews than this one, I may not even review it for the podcast because I just don't see the point at, anymore. Yeah, yeah you're, you're right. I think that if they do, if they keep Yates and Rowling on for the next one, that to me just shows no evidence that the that this series is going to improve any. And if they are still on, I don't see any reason why you would expect that it would be a good movie. Yeah, no, uh, my trust has been fully crushed at this point. I feel like, and that's really sad too. Um, but you know what? We'll always have the uh, Harry Potter films, and that's comforting. It, it's it's like something that we say like, oh, we'll always have the original Lord of the Rings instead of the Hobbit films. Oh, we'll always yeah. have the Star Wars films instead of the prequels. Like, yeah, We'll always have the Harry Potter films instead of Fantastic Beasts. Because yes. there's a theme here. And the theme is too much of a good thing and greed. That is 
really all it just comes down to. Mm. You know, you start giving everybody too much of a good thing and it's fueled by greed and by profit and dollars. And at a certain point, your audience just checks out. And then you know what ends up happening? There becomes a reboot or another spinoff a few years later and we just hop back on the ride all over again. It's a cycle. Because once you have an intellectual property that people are responding to, they ain't ever given that up. Ever. <laughs> Not in this day and age. Absolutely. So that is the true magic trick of the film industry in 2018. All right. Uh, Oscar potential. Yeah. Um, I would love to see James Newton Howard, uh, his score somehow magically get in there, but I don't think it's going to happen. Production design and costumes, I'll have it there by default. I ain't going to predict it, but I won't be surprised if either one of those manage a nomination at this point. We'll have to see how things play out. I, I do think it's not going to get a single one. And I'm with you, Josh. I'm with a score of two out of 10. Uh, it's. Man, I like if it weren't for some of the small redeeming qualities, this would be receiving my worst rating of the year of a one out of ten. Because also, too, it just feels like it's not like a personal attack, but I, I do take it somewhat personally that I like the other films in this franchise so much and that this is just so bad compared to those. And, you know, you look at the potential of what could have been, you know, and when you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on this, you're casting such big names. There's a level of expectation there, and if you can't deliver on it, like, oh, damn, it hurts, you know? I want this to be good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's really disappointing when you're coming off of a franchise that had so many great entries that relied on, you know, good character work to propel that story forward, and you get to this, and it's like the only thing that is your entry point is just an understanding of what the world is, and... That, that's not enough to carry an entire franchise, you know, and it, it is a shame that they didn't seem to take those lessons of the previous films into this this new area. And that's a shame. All right, Josh. Well, where can they find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. To all the muggles that are listening out there, I do apologize. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean... No, I'm not going to say that there is hope. I don't. I don't believe there's hope right now for for, for this franchise. But you know, hey, yeah, stranger things have happened, right? Well, well, if they still have Yates and Rowling on, there's no hope. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, the guys directed six films in this franchise at this point. Give it to someone else, please, for the love of God. Yeah, they're still going to go see the movie anyway. You can afford to change it up a little bit. Exactly. Well, uh, with that said, you can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, CastBox, Acast, and now on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and support. And speaking of support, if you head on over to Patreon for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? 
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.